What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joining me as always is Tim, aka Cranjus Week Basketball. And Tim, we are coming off of the Lakers' first back-to-back losses in quite some time. They dropped two games in a row, first on a Tobias Harris buzzer beater, uh, and then next on the road, missing AD to, frankly, the team who only beats contenders in the Detroit Pistons. They've they've beaten a few, you know, of that top-tier level talent so far. But it's been, uh, it was a rough night on Twitter last night. I don't know if you were around, but it it got a little bit messy. You know, I see fans starting to get uh, restless. And I even saw it during the Philly game, Tim. And I want to get into this later with people talking trash about Anthony Davis and being sick of it. And I, I, anyway, people are freaking out already, Tim, two games in a row. The Lakers always talk about not losing two games in a row as being a big focus of theirs. And now it's happened. So Tim panic assessment. I need a full damage report. Uh, well, I had a great night last night. I uh, <laughs> We had a movie night planned. I was like, I don't need to watch this game. We're going to blow them out. No problem. I didn't check in on the game until the end. And I was like, wait a minute. My app is clearly wrong. This cannot be the score. Uh, I went through some of the film today. I just a couple minutes ago, as we were setting up, rewatched the last few minutes. And there's there's real stuff that the team needs to work on. It's not the end of the world. It's early in the season. I, I understand frustrations. And there are certainly things that I'm not happy about from a rotation standpoint, from an individual players doing specific things standpoint. Uh, and, and with a lot of that, I'm not like, man, 80, I hate you. Or like Montrez Harrell, you, you stink. It's you need to fix this and that and that. And we're going to have to rely on between you and the coaching staff, watching film, figuring those things out, working on it. Uh, plenty of time left, but yeah, not this is a this is the lowest low we've had so far this season. And there's a big game coming up, so we may see three losses in a row, which would be the first stretch of something like that in, in quite a while. So we've been fairly privileged over the past 24, 12 months, whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's not looking good. But there's there are brighter days ahead. I'm not too worried. No, definitely. They started ten and zero on the road. And now they're playing three games in four nights in Philly, Detroit, and Boston during the COVID era. Like this was already like this Saturday game was already probably a schedule loss to begin with that third game in the fourth night, you know, at the end Mm -hmm. of like a seven game road trip. Those are just how it goes in NBA scheduling. But just really quickly kind of going through some of our reactions and takeaways from playing Philly, who I do think Tim deserves to be talked about in that top tier of Milwaukee, the Brooklyn, you know, we talked maybe about putting them there like generally, but I think they're close enough. Embiid is playing like an MVP. He was absolutely dominant in that first half before, you know, he got caught with the LeBron, like extremely dirty play. Um, I mean, listen, Tim, the second rule in pickup basketball is you don't take charges. I, I need to tell you this. But the first rule, Tim, is you don't push the guy when he's in the air. So just so we're all clear, that was dirty as shit. And you hate to see it. It, it happens. The thing is, it happens a lot. And usually guys land it. You, you don't want to see a play like that. It wasn't like the most blatant over like pushing to try to hurt somebody sort of play. But 
I, I don't know. He definitely LeBron touched him. Better. It did seem like there was a bunch of force. I've seen plenty of LeBron dunks where he's pushed in the air and there isn't even a foul called because he lands it. Um, hopefully, Embiid's okay. He was well enough to return to the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I, 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 I'm, I'm just glad saying, that you put it over taking charges, though. I think that's my big takeaway from this this talk. But the the like the Lakers <laughs> were uh, the Lakers were a bit uh, I don't know how to say out of sorts in the, some of this Philly game. They got discombobulated and they got down early, but they made a nice run at the end. Some kind of general takeaways. Um, you know, this is a great crazy uh, for cleaning the glass. This game, which ended 107-106, Philly had. You know, 95 possessions for the Lakers, 94 possessions for the Sixers, 111.6 points per possession for the Lakers, 111.7 for the Sixers. So the just insanely close matchup here, Tim. And mm-hmm. I was encouraged by stuff like the Marcus All defense on Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid was dominating, but I didn't feel like it was because Gasol was bad. He was just dominating, you know? And I thought Gasol did actually have some plays that forced him into a tougher mid-range shot that was able to use his size and not get dominated as well. So how do you think Mark matched up on Joel first off? I thought he did a good job and Embiid's having an MVP caliber season. We see that in the data and we'll be releasing the new LeBron data for, for this season soon. And you're going to see Embiid show up. I don't know. It'll, it'll, we're going to update it continuous, but he's probably going to be number one or number two when this comes out. He's been outright dominant this year. And I think the Lakers did a pretty good job. He drew some fouls. He hit some shots. Despite all of that, at the end of the day, he was still below his season average efficiency. And it didn't feel like a, oh, man, we can't stop this guy when Mark's out there sort of deal. I felt a little bit more nervous when Trez was guarding him. I think he went at AD even more than he did Gasol. Gasol got in some foul trouble. This game, I think the Detroit came, some of the games last week. We've had several examples here where we're seeing the lack of big man depth show up. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if we're looking at a takeaway from this game and we're looking to evaluate Marcus who was really brought in, he does other things. He's good at other things, but his post defense to replace what Dwight brought as a guy who can defend Embiid or defend Nikola Jokic or defend Carl Anthony Towns, who his team's not going to make the playoffs. So we don't have to worry about that one. Those are the two big matchups you have to look out for. And I think he passed this test. It wasn't Simple. This wasn't like the playoff game the two of them had a couple years ago where MB didn't score a point, but I thought Mark did well enough considering the circumstance, considering how good MB has been, that I'm pleased with that. And like if we hit a couple more free throws or hit one more three, we, we shot poorly in both ends of in both of those for this game. You hit one more three or you hit two more free throws. We may be talking about this game differently. And and then the loss after it was a schedule loss. So I'm not overreacting to just the L overall. We played them closely. But like you said at the start, I, I think Philly is a true contending team. And they're yeah. organized much better. They're structured well. And if Embiid plays like this and their shooters play well and Tobias Harris plays like he's worth the money they've given him, Philly's a team to watch out for. Yeah, I said in our preview that I was curious to see some of those matchups and cross matchups, you know, like we saw Simmons guarding LeBron and he did what he could. You know, LeBron was still able to beat him. There's a matchup where Simmons got on AD and he's way too small, you know, so we saw a lot of yeah, AD uh Kind of had trouble with Joel, to be perfectly honest. He uh, gave up s- space. He got bumped off spots. It, it's it's a tough matchup for AD. He definitely looks like a power forward next to Joel Embiid, which is unusual. You know, not many people can say that, but mm-hmm. that's what's good to have Mark Gasol. Um, I thought Trez was awful against Embiid, and I don't really know why we even try and that's really where you start to see like you said some of those big men shortcomings come to fruition so i i thought simmons really exploited lebron's like lack of lateral mobility was able to to curl and and get downhill pretty easily at will and get to the basket especially in that first quarter you know um so you can see how philly at least matches up very well with the lakers in a lot of different ways and and danny green had himself a game you know hitting like three for four from the corners just being old classic danny green knocking balls away from ad in the post Mm -hmm. just he had a few good possessions on ad as well so you see how the pieces fit and even at that last play tim that last play happened because Seth Curry forces a switch 
and gets Alex Caruso onto Tobias Harris. And he's able to just shoot that ball. Right. I'm just saying the shooting makes more sense than it used to. If that is, is TJ McConnell or shake Milton that it used to Mm -hmm. be, it doesn't work as well. Yeah. And I would expect that in the timeout, Frank was telling the guys we're switching everything. And that that was the game plan probably heading into that last play that's usually what defenses do so it's it's hard to go back and look at the film and be like oh man if only you didn't switch that because usually they're told just that's an auto switch in this circumstance and that's pretty standard across most defenses what we didn't see from Philly was that same sort of thing and and we talked about this on the pregame pod they don't switch a whole lot and we saw LA call the timeout and then run that nice little LeBron curling off of a screen from a guard and Philly didn't switch it. You got LeBron instead of that cross screen where he's moving like 10 total feet. He was able to cut from the exterior to the interior, more space for like MB to, to cover, got the ball on the run and, and finished attacking downhill. So I really like that play call. That's the type of thing, though, that like you don't have to save that for the last play. That's something that given what Philly does from a tendency standpoint, you should be able to go at consistently rather than having AD try to attack and beat in, in other ways in the post. So I, I don't know. I think there was a lot that LA could have done to streamline the attack offensively. I think defensively, there were some smarter tactics we could have used. If you hit a shot here or there, the game's different. Big picture, though, I think the Gasol thing is my big takeaway, and uh, I, I don't feel bad about losing this game. Okay, so, I mean, I'm I'm happy to hear that. I I think what I realized in this game is how well that Philly matches up, even being able to throw out Dwight Howard, who only got seven minutes, but just an extra body to, to be big and physical and, and take mm-hmm. advantage of Montrez Harrell, who scored zero points in 15 minutes. You know, so... Mark Gasol played a little bit more than normal with his 24 minutes. He's usually around like 20. So, you know, he's, that's the Joel Embiid effect. But if that can't be 30 in the playoffs when it needs to be, if that 30 minute it can't be 30 minutes, is 24 minutes of Montrez Harrell at center a realistic path to, to get them to be that championship team? Because I'm more and more concerned with Harold as the season goes on. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to hurt. And if you have 80 out there instead, it doesn't. I mean, it's a little bit better, but it in this specific matchup, it doesn't appear to be the answer. Maybe against Jokic, he'll fare a bit better. But against Embiid, it's not it's a it's an uphill battle there. So you want to be able to have Mark play more minutes. And if not, like pick someone up. Uh, in in the buyout market if you can that he can even give you just five good minutes defensively be a dump off man on the offensive end and play five good minutes of post defense and do the best you can there or we might see the Lakers do what they did with Howard last playoffs where they match like Embiid or Jokic's minutes with Gasol just to make sure that maybe he won't play 30 but every second that he's out there is going Mm -hmm. to be used in in the best way possible against that matchup so I, I agree with you. I think it's a concern. Long. This is something we've been talking about for a bit. We just haven't really seen it exposed until this past six or seven days. Um, maybe this will kick the Lakers in the pants a little bit, and they'll be uh, looking a little bit more towards that uh, as buyout candidates hit the market, which isn't quite yet. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's a good call out. Another thing I thought was interesting, the lineup of meh went only minus one in almost eight full minutes of game time. In the eight minutes of game time in this game is the piece of that that stands out the most to me uh, was a bit frustrating, but they they held their own. They held the line. It's it's getting a little better. Um, I mean, Keith is still not shooting the ball well at all. It feels like mm-hmm. literally weeks since he's made a shot. You know, Wes Matthews is is getting a little bit more aggressive, pulling some quick trigger threes and keeping the defense honest. But, uh, yeah, it's not great, man. It's basically been, Tam, LeBron's brilliance in those minutes, like him being the best Laker LeBron we've ever seen is carrying those minutes. And and he's making some amazing shots, you know, in the starting unit as well. But he's just playing so well. And. This is, to me, kind of a symptom of why we struggled on offense late in the fourth quarter is that they don't have an offensive identity outside of LeBron 
and Anthony Davis really. And it's, it's not, it's occasionally LeBron back cutting and getting a Gasol feed. Right. But we don't really run a lot of organized sets or organized actions out of uh, certain desirable, uh, you know, setups like Mark Gasol at the top or shooter, Harold pick and roll, plus other stuff on the weak side to create some, some confusion and, and separation mm-hmm. with it's just all on these guys, individual, you know, success against their guy or in a pick and roll or whatever matchup that they like that night. And if they don't exploit that matchup, they don't have this great cohesive offense to fall back on. I'd agree with that. And we have added some offensive scoring, I think, th- from last season to this year, just in terms of like Harold can attack in the post or Schroeder in theory like a higher is able floor, to attack right? in ball screens. There, there are some of those offensive attacks. They're not quite offensive engines and we're not building an identity identity around them. When you don't have Gasol out there and you don't have his passing, you don't have the dribble handoff game, you don't have the pick and pop with him, we're seeing a lot of like tagged in defenders, clogging the paint, making LeBron's life difficult. We're trying these inverted ball screens and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. Not running a bunch of organized offense. And when LeBron's not out there, it's, I don't know, it's it's kind of scramble mode and it's not good sustainable play. It's still early in the season. There's plenty of time to clean it up, but we're going to have to start seeing the first couple steps to that at some point soon um, for, for real tangible growth to be made. Cause you don't just flip that switch. They have to figure it out first and then work on it and then improve it and then figure out how the defense is going to guard it and then counter those. And then you're in playoff form. They're nowhere mm-hmm. close to that right now. So there's, I'm thinking more and more about this. There's like this, this group of guys that we have that can create their own shot at, at the drop of a hat, right? And it's, it, we have a few, you, you could throw Schroeder and maybe, maybe Trez in there. I don't love the shots he creates for himself, but whatever. He gets some, sometimes if he has a, you know, decent matchup on him. But it's basically LeBron, AD, Schroeder, and THT. Like guys that can create their own shot off the bounce. So to me, like whenever Braun is in there, is when THT should be out, especially if AD is out. You need to stagger LeBron and THT for ability to get to the rim and pressure the defense. And and when there's moments where LeBron's out there, you know, you can get away with it, but he's got a heavy load. And mm-hmm. sometimes you throw THT out there too and lighten that load and, and extend those minutes with LeBron on the court. It's just to me, like Caruso, as great as he is on offense, you know, he – he he makes the right play, but he doesn't really create an advantage in any action to uh, to elevate the rest of the guys around him. And THD has those moments. He struggles sometimes, but he can get to the rim. And I I just want more THD, Tim, deployed in, in the right way. I think he's a counterweight that could help you. He's good in some areas. Like he gets to the rim and he'll finish at the rim well. Overall, though, like... I don't know. He's so up and down. His his spot mm. up game is has been terrible. 18th percentile. His isolation scoring this year, he's shooting 25% on a on only 10 possessions, 2 for 8 shooting and drew a foul, had a turnover. In transition, he's been a killer. In ball screens, he's had okay efficiency, but he's not creating anything for anybody else on pass outs. Uh so it's it's like he's a guy that might get you some points and he can beat up some bench lineups at times, but I don't know if that's someone yet you can rely upon. I think there's potential there. And we've seen he has that one really good skill and he tries to lean into it. And at some points too much. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. And then watching the Detroit film, you saw that Detroit was packing the paint. They were sagging in weak side. And when the Lakers are kicking it, skip passing and, and passing, you know, the one one more, two more passes to try to get an open three. A lot of times he was trying to, as soon as he got the ball, he was trying to cut into the already packed paint. And he's making moves that can work, but he's not reading the defense well enough to have it be the, the right move. Sometimes he needs to just take that shot or just go make that one more pass to somebody else. He can't get the ball and try to drive every, every single time he gets it. So in some ways, given the right defensive alignments and situations i think he can provide a boost but at the same time it doesn't seem big picture like a sustainable thing having to be able to lean on him so i'm not sure if that's quite the 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 answer i don't know i'm very torn on tht 
Because he showed us flashes. Sure, sure. I mean, I guess, Tim, there is at least an argument, right? So that's an answer for the style or the most practical answer that the Lakers can employ based on what they've shown us in the past and being not an offensive set driven team. Like, right. So I think we both agree that in order to get a lot of this offense maximized, there are plays and actions and, and sets and, and concepts that they can then run and get better at and, and gain counters to, but that's not how they work. Right. Mm -hmm. So just a more practical answer is get some guy who can do some creation by himself Get the get him the reps, teach him when he messes up in game 18 so that by game, you know, 75, he's ready to at least be a 10 minute a game guy in the playoffs against the right situation, you know, because teams, playoff teams are trying to hide bad, you know, their their shit as well, so to speak. So. If their shit matches up with this guy, you could find positive minutes. I still I still believe. Look, I know it sounds like I'm all like this is the answer to our prayers. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just think it's an underutilized thing when he's just getting DNPs here and there. I I mean, you've hooked yourself to the uh, SSTHT and you're going to go down with the ship if the ship goes down. But if, <laughs> if reps, he, man, if reps, he, baby. That's the How's thing. How's it going to get better, though, if he doesn't yeah, get reps? Practice, practice. He's not going to – I don't know if him doing it once or twice a game is going to be the – like, I don't know. I, my approach with player development, and I've talked to some people, some coaches and some data people, and they're like, yeah, playing more doesn't necessarily give you any boost. It's the the reps in practice that are the real baseline foundation of developing skills. And then once they're at a good enough point, then you start using them in the games. You don't want do you, to have somebody stink and not be optimized and give them an extra couple reps a game, but have it have tangible effects. Like we lose the Sixer game by one point and THT wasn't really a part of that, but you don't want to lose extra games just to get a guy a couple reps compared to the hundreds he's able to get in practice. That's just from a volume standpoint, it's very different. And you can look at film of the games. And I think that's the real benefit of, of getting those reps is saying, here's how they played you. Here's what you can do. But you can do that same sort of thing with practice film. And but, I think the better teams go after that. But teams are really practicing this year in ways that's that they true. have in the past. Like they're limited. You know, they're doing walkthroughs in, in Marriott ballrooms with tape mm -hmm. on the fucking ground. Like I, <laughs> yep, hear where I, those days. <laughs> I hear where you're coming from. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I understand that directed practice you know very specific deliberate practice and review to understand what's good what's bad what you missed you know all the the to get a full picture for the player is helpful but yeah. it it's also I'm, you're never going to convince me that more time on the court leads to uh poor or you know less experience it, i mean it's just i understand the, the theory mm -hmm. but and i'm not saying it, it helps we should have used helps. him if we yeah. use him, maybe we win by five. Maybe we lose by ten. I mm -hmm. I don't know. I just th want to know, so I want to find out, or sooner yeah. than later. Right, and, and I do think so. Playing does help. It does. It's it's a very small piece of the pie compared to the hundreds and thousands of rep you get in practice. And like going to a college practice, going to a pro practice, seeing the the work these guys put in, seeing the shots they get up, it's magnitudes more than what you do at the high school level. And a lot of people, I don't, I'm not sure you like, I didn't realize it. It did not hit me how different it is and how much more volume these guys get in practice until I was able to be part of that experience and see what that looks like. And it, without those practices, you made a great point. If they're not practicing much this year, that's a lot of opportunity that is down the drain that would normally be built into a season. So no real off season, not much practice time this year. It's not a great formula for him to take the in-season growth you would hope for him to take. So maybe those extra reps, they're weighed more than they otherwise would be in a normal season. It's, it's tough. It's a weird situation because I think for him, it's a lot of the reads. It's hmm. not that he needs to grow a specific skill and, and be better at finishing at the rim or something. I think it's reading where the defense is, how they're playing you and knowing how to react. Driving into a packed paint isn't the right answer. Um, it, it, he can't have only like, it, it's not, you're not playing one button mad mode where you only press the one thing and it's always going to make the right decision. You have to make the five or six reads and figure out what the right route is to go. So I, I'm still high on THC. Want to see him grow. I, I think that's where I stand. 
I, 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 we're in agreement. I, I am just searching for reasons for me to figure out how to use this guy better. Otherwise, you know, every other game, I, I'm trying to understand the, the, the thought process and, you know, every other game is somewhere between we got to play this guy and he's a bench player. And to me, it's either or, you know, so yeah, mm-hmm. they're still figuring stuff out. So it can't be too harsh on them. But Tim, I just want to dive into something quickly. We started talking about THT because of how the Pistons played the Lakers in the fourth quarter. And man, what an ugly fourth quarter that was. Uh, we talked about it before we came on, but I believe it was 88, 87. THT had just hit a three coming down with 840 left in the game. And for the rest of the game, the Lakers scored five points. And two of those points are garbage time points from Devontae Kaycock. So essentially they scored three points in almost the final nine minutes of the game. And this is part of my concern is that the offense around LeBron and, and they weren't getting good shots either. This mm-hmm. It wasn't a case of, oh man, if one or two of these falls, Schroeder did much better in this game as well. He, he was looking better at kind of attacking and, but man, this was a rough fourth quarter. You know, Schroeder didn't get another run until the game was kind of already out of reach. We kind of lost it there in that THT lineup with LeBron that, that we've been talking about. So I don't know, man. What what did you see from the offense? Uh, not just what Detroit did. There should still be ways that the Lakers can get good shots, despite the paint packing. Uh, get open threes at least. What what were you seeing from some of that film? It was a lot of what we've spoken about in the past, all culminating into a really bad stretch. The lack of other offensive engines meant that suddenly Caruso's running ball screens and needing to make reads and make lob reads, make I'm going to shoot a floater reads. He had a floater that almost went in, didn't quite go in towards the beginning of that stretch. We got to see LeBron posting up quite a bit, isolating or posting up against Detroit, who was packing the paint. And when they were sending help on LeBron in the post, sometimes it would come from the top side. And the Lakers, they've they've drilled this in. If the help comes from the dude right in front of him, that offensive player is going to cut. That might end up with a good shot. But if you're late on that and we saw Derrick Rose strip LeBron, get a steal, the only player you have in a position to defend in transition is now suddenly cutting to the wrong rim. So there's no protection. You're it's like an all-out blitz in football. Either you get there and it's great, or you're in trouble. And we saw the Lakers be in trouble, and and that's going to hurt the team in transition when that if that's not clicking perfectly, that's going to hurt the team. We saw Detroit send help from the baseline, but in 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 sag off of weak side players and be ready to step over and take a charge if LeBron went baseline, but not go too early. To the point that LA was kind of waiting for them to go in order to react to it. But because Detroit wasn't going until LeBron was driving, that meant that the windows of time for LA to recognize it, then execute something weak side, and then LeBron read it and execute the pass while driving into a second guy makes it so difficult for all four of those things to go right. And we saw that result in some turnovers. We saw Montrose Harrell screening poorly, which we've talked about. He'll it's it's kind of like the AD pick and sit, but he was like leaning into the dude even more after setting the screen and just not rolling or popping, like not even turning. It was just kind of like, I'm going to screen and wait an extra two seconds to then try to do something. And when Detroit's catch hedging, as they did later in that game, LeBron's got a dude right in his face. He's got a guy trailing around the screen. Trez isn't making himself available and other guys are just standing around off ball. He doesn't have options. And that results in a kick out and then an ISO or a kick out and then a Caruso ball screen. And the team just wasn't organized. It was try something. If it didn't work, we're just going to see what happens. So that was really troublesome. I, I don't know. I wasn't really pleased. I did like how Kuzma got to see some more off ball sets run for him. He had three scoring attempts this game, which is the most he's had in like a month. I liked his cutting. Uh, I like Gasol's passing two cutters in this game, but we saw Gasol largely out of the game for that final stretch. And when your ball screens aren't working because Harold's not doing a good job screening and no, they're not respecting shooters, it's and nobody's moving. It, it makes it really hard to operate. 
Yeah, and it's getting to the point with Gasol where he his lack of aggression and looking toward the basket to be any kind of threat is hindering his ability to make reads and passes and give him space because he is so wide open out mm-hmm. there that, you know, you got to take those. You got to take those, man. Like it's it's like when the defense only rushes three guys, right? And eventually like, you have forever to throw, but Every, there's so many guys and, and and then the play's broken and then you don't have anything to do. And eventually you just got to run it yourself, man. You just got the lane. And if you get four yards, you get four yards. But but you got to take that three. And mm-hmm. and he's only taking like you know three, four shots a game at the most. Um, it's and he was taking some really bad, like wild stuff. It, it, it was a mess yeah. the, the other night for him. It's a mess. Looking at so we just ran our perimeter shooting data B ball index and looking at those numbers. So Gasol, his three point shot making, so his shooting relative to the difficulty of shots has mm-hmm. been a, about average, fifty fourth percentile. It's good. He's mm-hmm. not lighting the world on fire like LeBron happens to be. He's in like the top fifteen in shooting in the league right now. Which bonkers, so good. He's so good. KCP's been really good. Caruso has been knocking down shots at a high rate. Kyle Kuzma is up from bottom of the league shot quality to slightly above average shot quality. And we're seeing the, the, the shots fall. Um, but Schroeder 18th percentile, three point shot making THT 25th percentile Keith, who you mentioned earlier, 26th percentile AD 47th percentile. Wes has been about average 51st percentile. Um, and then Gasol 54th percentile. So we have a couple average shooting guys. We have several dudes who are shooting pretty well. Caruso, Kuz, KCP, LeBron, and then Keith, THT, and Schroeder, and, and 80s about in the shooting okay category, but he's taking hard shots. Those other three guys, Keith, THT, Schroeder, are not hitting shots, and yeah. defenses aren't respecting them, and they're not respecting Gasol, because even when he's shooting and hitting them at an okay rate, he's the volume's not there. Yeah. So I just, I was, some of the most frustrated I am watching film is like, you're wide open. Come on, just like yeah. shoot that shot. You know that's open. And he'll get the ball swung to him, not even look to shoot and just yeah. immediately turn and try to find someone to like hand off to or something. That that frustrates me. So I don't know. That A little bit of insight. Oh, and Gasol's, when he, when he is shooting, uh, so shot quality is its own thing. It looks at like corner threes, above the break threes, pull up threes, all, all the different things. Just from an openness standpoint, Gasol's three have threes have been more open than 92% of players. Yeah. So when he does shoot, he's like wide open on a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to how often he is open and just not taking them at all. Yeah, there was one play, I think, uh, in the first half against Detroit where, you know, shot clock's running down and there's a swing, a swing, and it gets to Mark. And there's like, you know, five seconds left. And he has space and he swings it and it, it kind of forced somebody else to take a really tough like mid ranger. And, and I don't even know if they got it off. And and uh, and I'm, I want to say that like LeBron goes up like, Mark, that was you. You were the shot there. Like, you know, I have to expect that that will get better, that they're seeing this, too, that the lanes will start to open up as or Mark will get more than, you know, three to six points per game. And it'll get up to, to 8, 10, 12 per game just by taking two to three more threes per game. They're there. It's not forcing it. It's just like, Mark, these are on the court. You just got to take them. So I've also yep. been disappointed by Dennis has been shooting quite poorly lately. And and when he he just doesn't shoot like he did to start the season, uh, you know, it, keeping teams honest and buying himself some more space going toward the rim. So that I will be looking out for. But Tim. Uh, let's move on to our next segment, but real quick. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you got one more thing. One more thing. Crazy stat: Jeremy Grant and Josh Jackson were the top two guys who guarded LeBron in that Detroit game. In 28 possessions, he scored one point against his two primary defenders. Total one point, which is two, one point for for LeBron in 28 possessions. And you have like what, like 75 ish possessions offensively in a game, 80 possessions. So like that's a lot of his playing time. He just was not scoring against either of those primary matchups. And those guys played well, but it also speaks to everything happening around him between guys not shooting well or not shooting at all or not countering extra help. Like LeBron, when you can do that to LeBron, the Lakers aren't going to be successful. That's an incredible stat. I thought you were like one, like one point per possession. Okay, that's that's pretty good, I guess. That's fine. You know, one point. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I didn't feel like Jeremy Grant was amazing on him. I think it was maybe more of a team. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Concept in that they were Mm -hmm. fully, you know, helping into LeBron, like packing the paint and really making it a tough time for him. So disappointing loss uh, back to back against Philly and Detroit. But, you know, I'm optimistic and I'm excited to see them feel the flames of two losses in a row and finally adjust to something. And maybe we'll see a little bit more major changes, but um, let's let's before we get into our brand new segment, Tim, let's take a quick break. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Okay, we're back. Tim, in a completely unrelated fashion, we have a new segment, and we also have to preview uh, the Boston Celtics game, which is coming up tomorrow on Saturday. Again, completely unrelated. I want to introduce and open up this lane for you and and, and me, of course, for everyone. Uh, we're going to start this segment and call it Why Your Team Sucks. Okay. Now, I want to start with the entire lack of originality from the, the organization from top to bottom. Okay. Boston Celtics. Okay. Very original. There's a lot of Irish people population out there. Yeah. Let's rip off the Lucky Charms mascot. You know, we'll, we'll do them up in some green, you know, we'll, we'll call them the same name. Lucky, the lucky, the whatever. The leprechaun. Yeah. Give them a vest and capris. That's his outfit. (laughs) Okay. And then, you know, they're like, shit, we got to come up with a new city Jersey. I know. Can we copy paste our fucking banner onto the Jersey? And just look like Boston Celtics number Tim, what, like, talk to me here. Like, we got so much slander. Lakers are going to win with the jersey battle. They're going to win on the court. This is my analysis. They're going to win in my heart, Tim, at every possible way. They, they can't lose to the Celtics team. Yeah, I, they better not. And if they do for the third game in a row, that would be infuriating. So this team better have some fire out there for that game. But yeah, the Lucky the Leprechaun, like if you Google Lucky the Leprechaun, you will not find the Celtics mascot in the first like three pages of search results. They like it, completely out outpaced by the Lucky Charms guy. And they're like their mascot doesn't like do funny stuff or run around and take pictures with kids. He's one of the dunk squad guys. That's like what their mascot is. It's just like a white dude wearing a vest in capris. So it's uh, come on. That's so lame. like the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers have a mascot, right? Lakers no. don't have a mascot, no. but I, the Celtics, like I, uh, they're not doing much better. I feel like from an efficiency standpoint, not well, not well done. The, the jerseys, dude, I've made jerseys in 2k that look like these jerseys where it's like, oh man, I can't. I can't really do much with the font here. It's going to be super generic. It has no personality. The font's huge. It's like way too big. Just proportions. It's like a. It's a, it's the Barbie doll of jerseys. It makes no sense. Yeah. It takes up half the front of the shirt. It looks so stupid. Uh, but I mean, D- Domin made a great point on Twitter uh, a while back. He said, "I understand the Celtics releasing these banner jerseys. When you do something only once in 34 years, you might need to remind your fans what it looks like." And 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 I'm with him there. Tim, they're are so we, tacky. We, 
No, they're so tacky with the banners. They lowered them to the edges of the court so that, you know, like how there's like that weird empty space down on the concourse. No, mm-hmm. no. It's just like like this, like fucking magic act that you have to like, oh, sorry, I'm going after loose ball. I need to go through this like fading 1960s championship banner because you have to celebrate when there are eight teams in the league and you went, you know, eight for 10 in the 60s or whatever bullshit. Yeah. Well, they have to lower it a little bit because there are very few of them uh, that that matter, that are relevant. Um, there are plenty of, you know, Bruins things. Of that. Like I've been in TD Garden. It's like in a in a train station. And I went to a Celtics playoff game. I saw them got an, get annihilated by LeBron and the Cavs by like 30 points. It was fantastic. I saw people cry. I saw people curse out Brad Stevens for like four hours straight. It was it was quite an experience. Um, and that court, Tom, that court is something parquet. It looks like the floor of a grandparent's house, which is fitting because they need to make sure the people who remember those titles can can connect a little bit. Uh, they want you they want you to remember that they haven't won a, a title in a million years. Um, and so parquet also comes from the French word for a small enclosed space, which describes the Celtics fan base well also. So. I, I thought that was a, a fun little tribute to history. Very good uh, foresight by the Celtics uh, forefathers. Um, yeah, great. They haven't repeated since the three-point line was introduced. They have two <laughs> titles total since it's been introduced. They're like, go back and watch Celtics like title stuff. It's it's ridiculous. It's not real basketball. Bob Cousy's nope. in and out dribbling people, and they're just falling down. It's it's ridiculous. The I want to quiz you, Tom. Go go, please. Can I quiz you? you? Okay. Can you name? The teams that were in the NBA when the Celtics won most of their titles, there were like eight or nine teams. Celtics are mm-hmm. one of them here uh, in their, I think this Knicks. is their 1960s. All right. Yeah. You got Knicks. Lakers. Lakers. Yep. Was it eight teams? Uh, there were eight for most of them. There's a ninth team this year. So I'll give you, I'll give you nine. Oh my God. Come on, Tom. The Cincinnati Royals. You don't remember that powerhouse? Ooh, okay. <laughs> what about the St. Louis Hawks? <laughs> I was going to say the Hawks, but it was, yeah, man. The San Francisco Warriors, Detroit Pistons, and Baltimore Bullets. And it's not Pistons. so much the teams themselves as, yeah. as much as it is. There were only eight or nine teams yeah. in, in the league. Like, their conference is four teams. <laughs> four teams. Oh, my. It's ridiculous. Look, man, the Boston Celtics are the high school quarterback who was a hot shot and getting all the chicks who already had an alcohol problem that nobody wanted to address because they made excuses for them. They were young and everyone makes bad decisions. You know, they knock some girl up, you know, they get into bed with Paul Pierce. So he's your legend. And then, you know, divorces him, you know, for a hotter new girl who actually just turned out to be asexual and just doesn't have any sec, you know what I mean? Like they got this whole, whole host of picks back, and yet they remain impotent on the championship it, level. That's so, what I know Danny Ainge most for is sitting on every opportunity. Almost they have the the championships, the almost championships, the almost trade wins, the almost got this guy, got that guy. I mean, we Danny look for it Ainge. at this point. You look yes. for it. It's anytime a big tra- play- player is traded or signed or like some player goes off and the Celtics picked in the draft like three picks lower than them. Just random strays like, by the way, I heard that six years ago, the Celtics almost drafted Giannis or like enter random player here. Oh, and speaking of Giannis, do you remember the debate? Do you remember that debate? The uh, who's better? Who would you oh, rather yes. have, Brad Stevens the, or Giannis? The Chris Mannix poll. The Chris oh Mannix poll. God. Yeah. Who would you rather start your franchise with? Was the question. Brad Stevens or Giannis Antetokounmpo? And listen, maybe they maybe they are lucky, Tim. I saw something recently that said, you know, from just year over year, their average three point percentage against is habitually bought which is like perhaps the most truly naturally random statistic that you could Mm -hmm. you know quantify in basketball multiple rosters coaches gm like everything's different but somehow at td garden people don't hit threes 
So it, so you're t- like, th- this for sure has my conspiracy, like the air conditioning and like the ball, like, you know, the airflow in the, in the arena, or maybe they just like got a corner of the court on like, you know, tilt. So it's just like, you know, not quite a 45 degree angle. It's like, it's like 50 and just that little spot. I don't know, man. I'm getting suspicious because that it's like flipping a a coin a hundred times and it gets tails a hundred times. Yeah. It's, I think it's because all of their titles are from like 1950 and 60 and, and, and the, just those banners are slowly decaying, fraying and like it's hitting the ball as the ball's going up. That's my, that's my guess. Maybe they have like a sixth man situation. You remember that movie? The Wayans movie? Have you seen that? Yep, a sixth man situation with, you know, maybe Red is up there just like just like helping all of his helping all those wily Marcus Smart jumpers. You know, he's he's putting some juice in Peyton Pritchard's oatmeal. It's like, yeah, kid, I believe in you. This is my it, analysis it, of the Boston it, Celtics <laughs> matchup. <laughs> Speaking of analysis, Brad Stevens for ever has been regarded as this top coach because he has really good end of game after timeout plays, which he does. And it's like 1% of what you do as a basketball coach. But anytime he's ever referenced, it's like he's an X's and O's wizard. And to his credit, his staff's credit, they've gotten better over time and they're they're good. I'm not saying they're bad, but they've always been regarded as a better staff than they have ever been. And that that irritates me a bit. I, I was like, oh, this is great. And then I started looking at the reality and I was like, oh, man, these plays are horrible. What is going on here? Tim, you remember in the offseason when we were like, you know, I'm not really sure, but like push comes to shove. I might give like Tristan Thompson the, the BAE for like three point seven million. Remember when the Celtics gave him the full mid-level for two years? <laughs> I, Pepper's Farm remembers. Uh, it's ridiculous. He, I'm glad you brought him up because uh, Josh Jackson in that last game, he was somebody we talked about. He did, he, he's, he's playing all right this year. Tristan Thompson was a guy a lot of people wanted the Lakers to go after for much less money than the Celtics shelled out. And he has been so bad. He's been so bad this year. He can't. How all bad? he does is know. get put, putbacks and dump-offs. And he's not good at those things. And he's so like it's it is so hard, Tom, to only do the easiest things in basketball and still be an incredibly inefficient (laughs) basketball player. But he's found a way. Life always finds a way. And I I just I mean, I don't know. He's he's been bad for a while. Maybe maybe he's maybe he's not good anymore. Maybe it's not that he just decided not to try in very specific ways that have been trending down for years. I don't know. Just maybe. I, I got. I don't know. I, don't, I got nothing else. I, I feel like my gun has been emptied. You know, I can find more petty things. I'm sure. You know, but it's this is our preview. You know, we do this for every team, Tim. We couldn't get to it in the last pod with Harrison, so we felt it needed its own lane. Yeah, I'm glad we did it. On a on a serious note. I and you pointed this out on a pod a while back. The difference between how the Lakers and the Celtics treat players from a franchise standpoint is a real thing that does matter. A lot of these other things, like the Celtics mascot, doesn't matter. That is a real tangible thing that we've seen matter. And shout out to Isaiah Thomas, who Boston did dirty. Uh, shout out to Anthony Davis's dad for saying that AD's never going to play there because of that. Uh, and I don't know, you just have two different franchises and two different positions in terms of how they value people and in the way you treat people matters. And just a great example of that. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. I mean, listen, on a real serious note to, you know, all of us out there, we've worked probably many different kinds of jobs for different kinds of employers from, you know, highly structured corporate there's a Fortune 500 CEO somewhere making millions of dollars to, uh, you know, somebody's family who works at the corner and you've known them. And they've had that shop for years and years. And I'm not saying that it's 100 percent. You always get that family treatment from the family business. It's more often. And there are major corporations that build positive uh, cohesive relationships, lasting relationships that maybe hurt short term and maybe even hurt bad long term but 
it's how you go about your business on a human level, on a process level, like talking process about like a human interaction and, and saying we want to treat people the way we, we want to be treated and the way they deserve and and giving them partnership, ownership, agency. It's like this is your little parcel of land mm-hmm. and this is what we expect from you. And and this is your land. Though. Like you do this as you will, but it gives you this this ownership and this this pride that I really think comes across. And, and it's very romantic for me to to speak this way. And I don't think it works for every player, but it overall works. You know, watching guys like Alex Caruso blossom from a kind of scrappy G League guy into a legitimate champion three and D wing player. It's 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 in no small part to you know what the Lakers do internally as as a family honestly and it, it, yeah. like Jason Tatum might have been this guy with or without Boston right maybe they did help him I'm not discrediting that and maybe that works for him but it, the Lakers just listen man it, if you don't if you'd rather be in Boston than LA I don't know how to argue any other way against it I've been to Boston Tom I have I was in I lived in well, I didn't live in Boston I was at a, a summer camp in boston for two weeks and i i would not recommend it i don't know la's la's the way to go but you know support local businesses support your mom and pop shops and speaking of pops you would have to be i think you'd have to be born in 1962 for the celtics to have won more titles when you were alive than the lakers and that's like to be alive like to have actually celebrated those maybe give it another 10 years so 1952 we'll say so you'd have to be what 70 or so to be t- if you're if you're a Celtics fan and you're gonna come at us, you better be 70 years old because that's all I want to hear. <laughs> of the past 33 titles won since 1990, the Celtics have won one and they're tied for eighth in terms of championships. I don't want to hear it. I think that's all trash, trash, <laughs> poverty organization. I mean, look, how many Ooh. organizations have won more than that already? The Heat, the Spurs, the the Pistons. Did they yeah yeah they've won more championships in the last 40 years than the Celtics the Pistons the team that everyone's clowning on that just beat us yeah i'm just saying i'm just saying it's a poverty franchise and and it's it's all glammed up to be special and the media certainly helps that mhm yeah all right well that was fun i like that we're going to have to get some uh some some if you're listening and you want to chime in on one of these next time i'll put a tweet up and We'll get the uh, the peanut gallery in on this because oh, these are. I like this. I'd love no, to talk the absolute, crap on random absolute, states and cities and and stuff like that. Absolute best cats. thing is just to have a whole segment about the Celtics where we provide literally zero analysis, and I'm fine leaving it at that. Like I really don't. I I, I don't care what their net rating is or their differential. Like they're they're bad, and they should feel bad. <laughs> That's it. Well, the team, That's it. The team this no, year is bad. okay. <laughs> no, they're bad. No, they're bad. They play uh, they in, feel bad. The NBA is like, oh, shit, sorry, Philly. You only have seven players. Like, sucks for you. And they're like, oh, shit, Boston only has eight guys. Yo, yo, wrap this up. We're postponing till next week. Boston needs some more time. Adam Silver is like. Oh, that's crazy. Right, that happened? Yeah. Man. I mean, listen, I spun it a little differently, but like Philly did have only eight players in a game and Mm -hmm. it actually was only seven because they got fined for this. But Ben Simmons didn't play and wasn't put on the injury report and it was non-COVID plus all the COVID things that hit them. They only had seven. That was that crazy like point Danny Green game we were talking about. And like three or four days later. Celtics cut down to eight guys and then the league stepped in and kind of changed their policy and started to postpone games a little bit quicker. So Boston gets their ass saved. So yeah, they're doing okay. But they played like three or four games fewer than a lot of teams except Washington. That's nuts. The Ohio state of basketball. Hey, now listen, <laughs> I know listen you can't just drop that in there with me. Like they got the rules the changed Michigan for them. Won. They haven't what was the last time Michigan, Michigan is Boston in this scenario, well, motherfucker. Yeah, okay. Okay. That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, though Boston, saying, as a team, Boston's okay. One thing that hasn't gone so well for them so far this year, Jason Tatum has been the least efficient isolation scorer in the league other than Russell Westbrook so far this season among guys who've tried like 25 or more times. So it's like 50 players. So oh. I, I don't think that'll continue, but he's been bad and oh. I've been enjoying it. Kobe's approving from above. <laughs> Get your shots up, shots up, young fella. But Danny said pass. Pass to who? <laughs> Marcus Smart? Tristan Thompson? Jalen Brown's pretty fun. I really do like Jalen Brown, been good. both as a He's person and as a player. But yeah. that's all you'll get out of me. That's it. He seems like a good dude. I'm Jeff done. Teague's been bad. Tristan Thompson's been bad. Daniel Tice. Like, I, I, I feel like 90% of people I talk to don't even know how to say his name. Peace. <laughs> Yeah, that actually will be interesting to see. Like, they got to put Tice on uh, AD, right? They got to put Jalen Brown or something on AD? It's got to be. Ooh, that's a good point. They're a pretty small team. I mean, ooh. Yeah, that's a good point. That's an interesting. They're an interesting team. I think. So, yeah, AD may have a, a chance to go to work. Boston does send extra help more than almost anybody from the post, but they send it from the high side which the Lakers have shown inability to counter against. It's not that baseline help stuff that Detroit did that gave us issues. So that should play well into our favor. But yeah, 80 in the post. I'm liking that. Uh, man, what else? What else for this game? Boston switches a lot. They drop the least about it, of any team, about the least of any team in ball screens and handoffs. So something to be aware of there. They don't switch much off ball, so we might be able to get AD curling off of more pin downs or cross screens yeah. or slice cuts or whatever. Um, might be rough for Schroeder, probably having Smart matched up on him. I bet Smart will take or try to take some switches on, on LeBron, but at that point, you'll probably just see LeBron trying to exploit whoever is the weakest link in the switch offense or defense. Mm -hmm. So you'll probably see him try and attack Peyton Pritchard and, and whoever else, you know, Jeff Teague, who's in the game, and you'll see how that, you know, affects their coverage. But it's they, they have the guys to go straight up with LeBron, which a lot of teams don't like just physically the size and kind of the youth. You know, they they have some some weapons to throw at them in that respect. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is I, I'm not advocating for this, but if there were a team for the lineup of men from a type of player standpoint to align with, I guess it's Boston because they have a bunch of like wingy kind of dudes. So yeah, I don't know if that's guards. the way to go. I don't know if you want to play yeah. down to their level. But yeah. that if it works, it, that could make some sense. They don't have like a bunch of like guards that are going to be running around screens. Right. So the fact that you have bigger players guarding your one and two and three yeah. doesn't matter as much against this team. I don't hate it. We'll see, Tim. I. Yeah, it, it should be a good matchup. Uh, I'll try and get this up as soon as possible so people have some time to listen before it. But look, I don't think that's going to age too poorly. You know, after people listen after the game, uh, our Boston preview there, Tim. Anything else you want to get in today, my guy? I feel like we should wrap it up soon. Uh, we'll try and come back on Monday, do another preview for this week. But yeah, man, what I think uh, if, if you're down, I'm down to stream for, for Boston. Let's get it. Yeah, I'm in for that. The uh, last thing I'll plug, so along with running the perimeter shooting data at B-Ball Index, we also ran team ratings. And something I've heard over and over is like, this is the best Lakers shooting team since, I don't know, it's been a while. And so we only have data going all the way back to 2013, 2014, but this has been the best Lakers shooting team in all of those years. Uh, ten, we're 10th from a three-point shot making standpoint. Last season, we were 27th. The year before that, 30th. The year before that, 29th. 2015, 2016, 29th. It's been bad. It's been like real bad. It hasn't been yeah. like average bad. It's It's been terrible. And this year, it's it's not elite, but it's good. And uh, given the shot quality, which is the other piece of it, there aren't too many teams that are getting high shot quality that also are sh shooting well given the shot quality. The Lakers are one of those teams. We are 11th in shot quality as well. So that plays well into our favor. We're not like Memphis who has the second easiest shot quality, but that's because they are the worst three-point shot-making team. We're, we're not falling into that bucket. We're generating high-quality shots and kicking butt on them. So that's, that's, that's part of the formula. Figure out all the details, but you have AD, you've got LeBron, and you've got shooting. I'm, I'm liking it. 
The the shooting is certainly approved. It's still small sample size enough for me to question if it's that good, but mm-hmm. it is improved nonetheless. So with that, Tim, we are going to get out of here. Join us on Twitch. We're going to stream for the Boston game. So join us probably about 10 minutes before the game. We usually go live and uh, we'll talk to you guys then. Join us on Twitch. Lakers Exceptionalism pod. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.